going? I'm over there like. So we're going to have a little lesson afterwards. Northlight's going to meet us in the back, teach us how to clap on rhythm. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, it's a great worship. We're going to do some more of that at the end of the service. Hey, um, I don't know what you think about when you think about Easter. And there is this thing whenever you're in church and the pastor asks a question, we, we all know what the right answer is. So I ask you to think about what do you think about Easter? You all think about Jesus and the empty tomb. And that's all good stuff. I'm glad you think about that. Um, but the truth is we probably think of other things. So I don't know if you've ever worked in the children's wing and um, they learn pretty quick that there's usually a couple of right answers, Jesus and prayer. So you can ask them any question, like what color is your room? Jesus, right? Because they all want to get the answer right. So I'm encouraging you to go beyond what you know is the right answer and think about what do you think about when you think of Easter? What is it that comes to mind? Maybe it's pastel colors. Maybe it's Easter eggs. I brought a picture that always is a part of me. That's my daughter, Casey. And that's a bird on her hat. And when I think of Easter, I think of Casey in her dresses and her hats. Meg bought her a hat every year. That hat became in the Hat Hall of Fame. People still talk about Casey. She's 19 now, so she's a little taller than that. Um, Then you see the Easter eggs down there on the bottom. I mean, there's all kinds of things we think about. We think about chocolate bunnies and jelly beans and Whopper eggs and pretty dresses, right? And some of you are, I just heard, some of you said they're leaving on vacation tomorrow. Spring break's coming up, so maybe you have your vacation on your mind. Dinner this afternoon, dinner with family. All kinds of things compete for the image of Easter and what's going on in our minds. I have another question, and I would encourage you to do the same thing. I know the right answer, but go beyond that. What do you think of when you think of Jesus? What is it that comes to mind when you think about Jesus? Because the truth of the matter is, partly because of the way he's been portrayed in so many portraits and and statues, the, the Jesus that comes to mind probably bears only a little bit of resemblance to the actual Jesus. I grew up in a home where there was one painting of Jesus. In that painting, Jesus was very weathered. He was very dark-skinned, and his skin looked like he'd been in the sun a lot. He had wrinkles in his skin, and he was muscular. And my mom used to always say, the reason I like that picture is because they didn't paint Jesus like a wimp. And so many of the paintings of him, he's just this scrawny dude. You know, he did, he did live out in the wilderness. He did wander with, you know, so, so he, was, he was a man, and I, and I love it. There was these pictures where he's a little bit stronger. But, but whatever the image you have, chances are he didn't have blue eyes. He didn't have light skin. Probably didn't have sandy blonde brown hair like so many of the, the depictions of him. Probably wasn't exactly a true rendition of whatever comes to mind. And I'm just, I'm trying to paint a picture because the truth of the matter is there's all kinds of images. There's all things, kinds of things that can be in our head that would cloud our understanding of what Easter is all about, who Jesus really was. What is the real story of Easter? And if I had one goal for today, as we walk through a passage of scripture, is that you would leave here with a better understanding of who Jesus is and what Easter really means. That's our goal for today, so let's pray. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for a chance for us to be together and sing and lift you up and worship with our voices. Uh, For my voice, I pray that you would help it to last throughout the rest of the sermon. Um, as I'm fighting something here, and I just pray that you would help me to uh, have a voice. And Lord, I pray that the words that I share are the words that you want people to hear. I pray that they would leave here knowing you more. We pray all the time that, that we would never play church, that people wouldn't just come here to check a box, that we would leave different, not just on Easter Sunday, but every Sunday. We would come here expecting something from you that would change our lives, because that's who you are, and that's what you do. So as we move into this portion of the service, I pray that you would use the word to change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So I started to prepare today's message, and I think the hardest message for me personally to preach are Christmas and Easter. And part of the reason is because you know the story. Part of the reason is there's a challenge from a presenter's standpoint to say, how do I bring something different, something fresh? How do I just not bore people with a story they've already heard? Not that the story, story itself is, is boring, but there's a challenge to, to want to, to bring something. So I, I'm thinking about what do I want to talk about? It's, I'm struggling with it. And I began to ask myself this rather corny question. What would Jesus say? Right? The old what would Jesus do bracelets. I thought about maybe we should all get bracelets that say what would Jesus say. But I figured Carl would quit and protest because it'd be too corny. So what would Jesus say? That's the question I began to ask myself. And the best way to answer the question what would Jesus say is to actually look in the scriptures and say, well, what did Jesus say? The beauty of the scriptures is we've captured the words of God. So we're going to use Jesus' words to explain the Easter story. And we're going to do that by going to Revelation. So Revelation, last chapter of the Bible. Grab your Bibles under your seat. If you brought your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to start reading the second part of verse 17 and 18. If you are um, using electronic Bible, we encourage you to do that. If you're taking notes in your iPad or your iPhone, or not that I'm promoting Apple, whatever smartphone you happen to be using is fine with us. But we welcome that. What we really want you to do, though, is bring your Bibles, bring something, be able to take notes so that you can retain what you're hearing. You only retain a small portion of what you hear, so much more if you're writing it down. So, so come prepared every Sunday to do that. That would be a great thing. So we're at a point in, in Revelations, just to put it in context, where John is, has been uh, sent away in, in loneliness to an island in Patmos. It's part of his punishment. Is he has to live there in isolation. And so he's, he's on the island, and Jesus appears. Remember, this is one of the disciples. He walked with Jesus. He was at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified. I mean, the man has an amazing story, right? But decades later, now Jesus appears on the scene again. He's standing there right in front of him. The scripture says that John fell to the ground as if dead. He fell to the ground. He was so uh, afraid, so moved, he fell to the ground as if dead. And I love the picture of Jesus. He comes to him and he kneels down and he touches him and he lifts him up and he says, don't be afraid. And then he says these words, the Revelation 17b through 18. He says, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. I want to read that one more time. The words of Jesus, he says, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death in Hades. Amen? That is the Easter story. That in itself is the Easter story. But what I want to do with the, for the next few minutes that we're together is I want to unpack those, those two sentences or a sentence and a half. I just want to unpack what Jesus was saying. And the truth of the matter is Jesus is making a declaration. He is making a clear and profound declaration. A declaration is, a, is a making a meaningful statement. It's, it's, it's when I say something that's meaning, meaningful about something, when I am implicit in what I'm saying, when I, when I make a formal announcement, I'm making a declaration. I have a good friend. His name is Randy. And Randy asks me and he asks other people regularly, Doug, what do you need to declare? What do you need to declare. And what he's saying is, what do you need to speak? What do you need to say who you are and what you need? What do you need to declare? It's a great question. It's a great question for you to ask yourself. What do you need to declare? Because if God has given you a life, if God has given you gifts, if God has given you talents, and if God has given you a calling, and just so you know, if you walk with Jesus, God has given you all of those things, then it's okay to declare, this is who God's called me to be. It's okay for me to say, God has called me to preach. It's part of what he's given to me, and I don't know why, but it's okay to say, this is what I'm supposed to do. 
So what is the declaration that, that God may be giving you is a great question for you to hold on to. At Grace, at this church, we declare that we are a mosaic, that we will be rich and poor, multicultural, multiracial, from all kinds of religious backgrounds, that we're going to be a mosaic striving together to live like Jesus. That's our declaration as a church, one of our declarations. Declarations can be really powerful. Declarations can be incredibly liberating. They can be, they can be inspiring. And maybe today, before the service is over, you'll want to make a declaration of your own. So Jesus makes this powerful declaration. He starts with these words, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. What's he saying here? He's saying, I am eternal. I am the first and the last. I am eternal. I'm the first and the last. I'm the alpha, the omega. I'm the first and the last. I'm the beginning and the end. He's saying, I, I was, I am, and I am to come. He's saying, I have always been. There's this moment in history when Moses is, has been sent to go back to Egypt to, to release the, the, the uh, Israelites, right? And, and he's saying, well, who should I tell him is sending me? I mean, what should I tell him? And he says, tell them I am. God says, tell them I am. There's another amazing moment in history when Jesus himself is standing before the religious leaders. And, and he's, he's kind of in a heated discussion with the religious leaders. And, and Jesus himself, he says to them, all I got to do is find my notes. Sorry. He says, before Abraham looked, before Abraham, he, he looked forward and he saw my coming and he rejoiced. And he said, if people put their faith in me, then they will have eternal life. They will never die. And the religious leaders were indignant and they said, how could that be? Everybody dies and you're not even 50 years old. How would Abraham know anything about you? How is it even possible that Abraham would know anything about you? You are delusional is what they were saying. But in John 8, 58, Jesus answers, he says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. When I was young, I used to always think to myself as I looked at scriptures and, and sat in church, why was Jesus so mysterious? Why didn't he just say who he was? Why did he talk in code? Why did he beat around the bush? Why didn't he just say, I'm the son of God, I'm the Messiah, but the more I study scripture and the more I understand the context of what Jesus was saying, the more you realize he wasn't beating around the bush. He was crystal clear because no Jew would even say, I am, because they knew it would be blasphemy. For him to say those words, I am, that was the name of God. For him to say it would have been blasphemy unless, of course, he was God and he was the great I am. So Jesus is arrested and he stands before the high priest. We read this on Friday night, and the high priest says to him, are you the Messiah? Are you the son of the blessed one? And Jesus in Mark 14, 62 says, I am. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming from the clouds of heaven. There's nothing unclear about this. There's nothing mysterious about this. Jesus is making a declaration, and his declaration is, I am, I am God. I am God. I was God, I am God, and I always will be God. And it's important that we don't miss this because this is a huge deal. This is the very foundation of the Christian faith. This is the foundation of what we believe. You see, Easter doesn't make any sense at all unless we know who was on the cross. 
Unless we know who was really nailed to that cross, Easter is just a cute story. But Jesus wasn't just a good man. He wasn't just a great man. He wasn't just a a brilliant leader. He was all of those things, but he wasn't just that. He wasn't brought into existence in his mother's womb. He didn't live such a good life that God made him deity, which is some of the false teaching that's out there. None of that is true. He was, he is, and he is to come. And it's his words and his declaration. Jesus himself declares, I am God. Those are the beginnings of his declaration. And then he extends the Easter story and continues in his declaration. And he says, I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. You know, the death of Jesus wasn't a big secret. It was done in public. The crucifixion was a public event and people saw it. And even in this this short amount of time that would have taken place, the people would have known that Jesus guy, they killed him on a cross. People saw it. People talked about it. It was a, a very public event. I had this opportunity to meet with a man. He was actually a a pastor in the area. And he actually said to me, he said, Doug, you know, there's no historical evidence for a real Jesus. There's no historical evidence for a crucifixion. Can I tell you, he is dead wrong. There is more historical evidence for a person of Jesus who died on the cross than there is for most of the emperors of that day. There's more written about him. There's more documentation about him. There's more evidence to an actual Jesus who walked the earth and died on the cross to many of the other historical figures that we take for granted as being real. And it's not just the Christians who wrote about him. It's not just the Christians who who gave us evidence. So there's a a guy by the name of Josephus. Josephus was a Jewish historian. He wasn't a believer in Jesus. He was historian, and he wrote these words. He said, about the time there lived Jesus, a wise man who wrought surprising feats. I love that, like, kind of, pretty surprising feats. If you know the story of Jesus, he did do some pretty cool stuff. Then he wrote, when Pilate condemned him to be crucified, those who had come to love him didn't give up their affection for him. A Roman historian who also wrote about Jesus, and he's writing about the Christians who followed him. They said, Christ, from whom they took their name, had been put to death. Remember what Jesus just said. He just said, I was dead. And now the historians, the people who aren't even followers of Christ, are giving evidence to the fact that he was dead. We saw him die. He says that he was put to death as punishment during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of the procurator, Pontius Pilate. There's other non-Christians historians. There's Christian historians. There's all kinds of writings that back up the story that there was a man, his name was Yeshua. That was what they called him in the Hebrew, that he lived a life, that he walked the earth, and that he was sentenced to die on a cross under Pontius Pilate. It's a historical fact. It's as much a fact as Abraham Lincoln or J.F. Kennedy, and there's no reason. It's silliness to dispute whether or not there was an actual Jesus. But the question we have to ask ourselves in church is why? Why would God allow himself to be killed? Why would the great I am go to the cross? Why would the one who spoke the world into existence, do you know that about Jesus? Jesus was the word. With his word, everything we know came into being. The the great I am, the word of God, the one who spoke all of humanity into existence, the one who created man allowed him to be crucified by man. Why would God do that? 
The truth of the matter is there is no way that we can unpack all of the reasons. There are, there are volumes of book written about the, the crucifixion of Christ and all that happened on the cross. There are, there are sermon series that we could do that's just what happened on the cross. Why did Jesus go to the cross? But I, I wanted to highlight four reasons because I think it's important for us to have some foundational understanding of, of why the cross. Why would the great I am, why would the one who is forever allow himself to die such a heinous death? And the first thing that kind of overrides all of that or, or, or overshadows all of that is Jesus did it because his father asked him to. Jesus did it because it was obedience. Jesus did it because he knew the love of the father was so great that he wouldn't ask him to do anything unless it was the right thing to do. And we could all learn something from that level of obedience, couldn't we? So there's this there's obedience factor, but why? Why would God even ask him to do it? I mean, it's a pretty crazy thing when you think about it. The cross is... Is, is wild when you think about the story. But God did it, first of all, to reconcile us to himself. 1 John 4.10 says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us and he sent his son, Jesus, as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Atonement means reparation for wrong. Reparation for an injury. It means to make amend. Jesus came, the son came, to make atonement for our sins, to stand in the gap between us and God. Jesus came to reconcile us to God. The cross reconciles us to God. The second thing that it did is it showed us the love of God. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love some of the translations say, while we were enemies of God. Think about that for a minute. While you had your back turned to God, while you were an enemy of God, God sent his son to die for you. Why? To show you the love of God, to show you the amazing lengths that God would go to to redeem you and call you a son or a daughter. The third thing that I wanted to show you is that he did it to offer eternal life. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus is the righteous and we're the unrighteous. To bring you to God, he is put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. John 3.18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. And John 3.36 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Amen. Whoever believes in him has eternal life. And here's the deal. We think of this as some kind of an insurance plan. We think, well, if we accept Christ, then we know we're going to have eternity, and that's a good thing. But the beauty of the scriptures tell us that, that this isn't something that happens just when we die. That eternal life actually starts now. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, I have come that you would know the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. He also said, I came that you would have eternal life. And this is life, that you know the Father. That you know me and the Father who, who sent me. That there is this picture of knowing God in our day to day. Eternal life starts today. When you accept Christ, life with God starts today. Now it does go into eternity, but this isn't about a, a clever insurance plan that allows us to go to a better place when we die. This is about life now. I have come that you would have life and that you would have life to the abundance. It starts today. The fourth reason for the cross and I, I picked this one especially for us because I think it's fitting to grace. But he came to reconcile us to each other. Ephesians 2, 14 and 16 says this, For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Did you know that Jesus destroyed the barrier? That Jesus destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. 
Jesus came so that we could be a mosaic. Do you get that? The reason being a mosaic is so important to us is because it's the very heart of God, because it's the message of the cross, that we can be black and white, rich and poor, that we can be multicultural and multi-ethnic, and we can be one. It's the heart of God. It's the purpose of the cross, to reconcile us to God, to show us God's love, to give us eternal life, and to reconcile us to one another. Do you know what the power of that scripture is? Is that he can bring unity in your home. The cross has the power to bring unity in all of your relationships. There's power in the cross. Did you know what the gospel, it actually just means, the word gospel means good news. Is there any better news than what we just talked about? The Easter story is the greatest story ever told. The great I am, the first and the last, the alpha, the omega, the one who spoke creation into existence, came, walked the earth, and died for you and me to reconcile us to God, to show us the depth and height of God's love, to give us life forever, to reconcile us to one another. But that's not all. That's not the end of Jesus' amazing declaration that we read in, in Revelations. He continues and he says, Behold, which really just means look. He's saying, look. No, John, look at me. Stop. Look at me. He says, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. Look at me. I am alive. So I love the imagery here because some people have taught that there was this crucifixion and then Jesus had to actually go to hell and wrestle the keys away from Satan. And I just want you to know, Satan wasn't walking around with a big ring of keys on his belt and Jesus didn't have to go to hell and take the keys away from Satan. Satan never had the keys. But what Jesus is saying is, I'm the man. He's saying, look, all authority, amen. He's saying, I... I got the keys. You know, the one who holds the keys is the one who can open doors. The one who holds the keys is the one who can shut doors. The one who holds the keys is the one who can keep people in, and the one who holds the keys is the one who can keep people out. The one who holds the keys is the one in charge. He who owns the keys has the power. In the days of the emperors and the kings, in the days of Jesus speaking here, there was a common thing that would happen. When an emperor or a king would, would leave his, his little area, his, his kingdom, and he'd go out to the outer villages and towns, and he would visit with them, he would come to the city gates, and the first thing that would happen is the mayor or the, the uh, governor, whatever they had as a governmental system, would come out to, and meet him at the gates and present the king or the emperor with the keys to the city. And it's where we get our tradition of giving the keys to the city to sports stars or, or heroes or, or all kinds of ways we do it. But in that day and age, it meant something. It, it was an act of submission. It was an act of, of honor, honoring the king. But more than anything, it was to make sure everybody knew. It was an act of humility that made sure everybody knew this is the king. He holds the keys to the city. He's our boss. He's in charge. He is the one who holds the keys. So they would make a big deal and they would have this presenting the keys to the city ceremony with the king. So Jesus makes this declaration that he holds the keys. After his resurrection, Jesus meets with the disciples and he says to them these, these powerful words. He comes to them and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority and heaven and earth has been given to me. I have the keys, and all authority has been given to me. In the original Greek, all authority means all authority. There's no mystery here. All authority has been given to Jesus. So, if you got up this morning, 
if you can take a breath, if you are here, if you can speak, if you can communicate, it's all because of Jesus, because authority over life and death has been given to Jesus. All authority over rulers and principalities, (laughs) amen, has been given to Jesus. Every dictator, every president, he was in total authority when George Bush was elected, and he is in total authority when Obama was elected. And some of us struggle to figure out, well, how could the same person be in authority? The fact of the matter is, Jesus was in, is in authority. No matter who's in charge, he's in authority. Even if, you, even if your boss is annoying and driving you crazy, he's under the authority of Jesus, whether he knows it or not. That's why Paul teaches, hey, everybody like that? Yeah, my boss is under authority of Jesus. Suddenly, I, I can clap for that. That's why Paul teaches us to pray for those in authority. Pray for those in authority over us because they too are in authority, they're under authority of Christ. Whether they know it or not, he's, you know he's under authority under all weather, under natural disasters. I don't understand all that, but I believe the scriptures are true. He's in authority over Satan. He's in authority over demons. He's in authority over the angelic host. Jesus said, look, all authority has been given to me. All authority, I hold the keys. And then he says something amazing to his disciples. He says, because all authority has been given to me, because of that, Therefore, I want you to go. Think about it for a minute. I have all the power, all authority is given to me, and I want you as my representatives to go. Go, make disciples, go, preach the good news, go pray for the sick, go cast out demons in my name, walk in freedom, let the, your, your high calling, your royal calling be lived out because you have the power in you through me. All authority has been given to me, and I want the world to see my power, and here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it through you. Think about it for a minute. The great I am who came and died and rose again says all authority has been given to me and I'm going to work through you, 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 to display my power. How cool is that? How cool is that? No, really, that is the coolest thing. So I don't know what images come to mind when you think about Jesus, when you think about the Easter story, but I want to make a declaration today. The Easter story is not the story of a victim. The Easter story is not a story of passivity, and it's not a story of weakness. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. Jesus was in total control when he went to the cross. At every second, at every minute, he was in total control. He was strong. Jesus is a warrior. He was strong and mighty to save. No one took his life from him. He laid it down for you and I. And he spoke declarations of power. He said, I am the great I am. It's an amazing picture of power. One of my favorite images in scripture, Jesus stands before Peter and he says to Peter, through you, through you and your, my disciples, the, the people that are with you, through, through you guys, I'm gonna build my church. Through you guys, I'm gonna build my church and someday Grace Community is gonna be part of that church. Through you, I'm gonna build my church. And then he says these amazing words. He says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Think about it for a minute. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Whenever I read that passage, and I'm knowing, I know I'm going into the, the nerd zone here, but I have this picture of Mordor, and I have a picture of Strider and, and 
and Gandalf and the guys riding against. For those of you who know what I'm talking about, welcome to Nerdville. For those of you who don't, you're in good luck. You don't know what I'm talking about. But there's this picture of the good marching against evil, standing at the gates of evil, the darkest place, and being ready to storm the gates of evil. Do you know that Jesus said, look, all authority has been given to you, given to me, and I'm going to give it to you, and I want you to take that authority into the darkest places of the world. I want you to take that authority outside of these walls. I want you to take that authority into your workplace. I want you to take that authority into every aspect of your life. It never was meant to be this thing we do in church where we come and we have a holy huddle. It was meant to empower us to take the light of the world into the darkest places. The gates of hell will not prevail against the power of Christ. Is that not the coolest thing? The Easter story is a story of power. It's a story of victory. It's a story of freedom. And the truth of the matter is it has profound implications for you and me because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. In me there's life, but not in me there's death. So part of the Easter story is recognizing that it requires something of you, that it requires that you make some kind of commitment, some type of belief because Jesus says, look, all authority has been given to me to open doors, into closed doors. All authority has been given to me, but you can trust me. All authority has been given to me, but I came and I died on the cross for you to make you a son or a daughter of the Most High God. You see, God can be trusted. He holds all authority, but he's inviting you to believe. We sing a song around here. We sing, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Eyes are open, chains are broken. And every time we sing that song, I stand over there and I think to myself, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that as a church where the Spirit of the Lord, you know the Spirit of the Lord is here. The Spirit of the Lord is here right now. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and chains are broken and eyes are open. Do we really believe the power of Easter? Do we really believe the power of the cross? So Friday night, we had this amazing service and it was very moving for me. I've I've been reading some of these cards and uh, it's just it's amazing what you guys wrote. So what we asked on Easter was, or on Good Friday was, where are your lost dreams? Part of Good Friday is it didn't always make sense. Jesus dying on the cross didn't make sense to anybody on Friday night. And so sometimes when we follow God, there's parts of our lives where it just doesn't make sense. God hasn't answered the prayers that we put out there that we haven't received what we thought we'd receive from God. And so people wrote down their shattered dreams, their disappointments, their hurts, their pains, their confusion on these sheets of paper, and they nailed it to the cross. And it was It was profound. I want to read these cards for you. Not all of them. (laughs) This one says, I had a dream of playing soccer in college, and I was hit by a car while riding my bike, dashing all hopes of collegiate soccer. I was diagnosed with a cancerous brain tumor. While in therapy for a completely unrelated matter, I discovered that I was abused as a child. I've suffered paralysis on my right side, and It's forced me to learn to do everything left-handed. Life has been way harder than I expected. There are all kinds of cards down here, but these four cards all came from the same person. They came from my friend Lori. And Lori shares her story, and it's pretty profound as God has stepped into what's happened to her. So I want to share some of what she wrote her dreams of soccer, her dreams of playing soccer in, in, in college, her health, her innocence are all shattered but there's this amazing redemption in her life. There is an Easter in her story. 
I sat with her a couple weeks ago, and she actually shared her narrative with me, and, and this is taken right from what she shared, so I'm going to actually read her word. She wrote, if I had not been riding my bike and not been hit by a car, I would have never known that I had brain cancer. If I had not had brain cancer, I wouldn't have gone through therapy, and I probably never would have said anything about what happened when I was younger and experienced the healing that's taken place since. This young girl writes, I guess all things really do work for good for those that love the Lord. At a Grace staff retreat, I met Melissa Gray, and somehow we ended up talking about my arm. I have no idea how. She asked me if she could pray for me, and in my mind, there are a few things you never turn down. Among them are free food and prayer. Somebody should write that down. <laughs> That's the wisdom of the day. Never turn down free food or prayer. So I said, sure. To be honest, after all this time, I didn't expect much. But as with most things, what I expect and what actually happens aren't always the same. Melissa put her hands on my arm and she began to pray. As she was praying, my arm started to get warm. She kept praying and my arm got warmer. And as someone who's always cold, I began sweating. As she continued to pray, my arm started to loosen up. It was like I had a pulled muscle and it just started to relax. When she finished praying, I tried some exercises I used to do in therapy and they were easier than they'd ever been. The next day, I decided to be a little bit more adventurous, so I started eating with my right hand. No problem at all. When I got home, I decided to try a few more things that I hadn't been able to do in nine years. And on the first try, I, I shook my mom's hand. How cool must have that been for the mother? Then I grabbed the tennis ball. <laughs> Amen. Then I grabbed the tennis ball and I told my dad, back up. And I threw the ball right to him and, and he just started to laugh. I love the picture of mom and dad in the room. We wanted to make sure it wasn't just a fluke, so we tried it again and we spent a good 10 minutes playing catch. And then Lori, this young girl, writes these words. I know my life to this point has had a fair amount of trials, but there's been a whole heap of redemption as well. I'm excited to see what God does next. Is that the cool? I am excited. All of that, and she writes, I'm excited to see what God does next. Lori's experienced Easter. Lori's made a declaration. She's made a clear declaration. In the wake of Good Friday, when some things just don't make sense, the story of Easter is that God redeems, that God says, behold, I make all things new, that you can trust me with these cards. The message of Easter is that God's in charge. He can be trusted. His ways are higher than our ways. God is offering to step into the chaos of our lives and bring peace and healing. The fact of the matter is if God can redeem the fall of man, if God can redeem the betrayal of his own son, the crucifixion of his own son, he can step into the chaos of our lives and bring redemption. The question is, do you believe? The question is, do you really believe in the Easter story? Do you really trust in the one who said, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys to death in Hades. This Easter, I'm hoping that you have something to declare. For some of you, you just need to declare it's time. I am going to walk with Jesus from this day forward. I am going to believe the Easter story is true, and I have made a mess of my life. I have tried to do it my way. I have tried to, to figure out how to do this, and it just gets worse, and it doesn't work out for me. I'm going to turn to Jesus. I'm going to do it his way. 
Some of you need to declare today, I am going to walk with Jesus. So we gave you a little card. It's in your, when you came in, it says, I declare on it. And what I'm going to ask you to do for the next few minutes as we sing some songs is just ask the Lord, what is it you want me to declare today? For some of you, the declaration may be, I need to start walking with God again. I walked in these doors 20 years ago, far from Christ. And I walked in the doors and I heard Jesus say to me, you're home. It's time to get busy. It's time to start walking with me. 20 years ago, no one would ever imagine I'd even be on this stage, let alone walking with Jesus. But something had to happen that day. I had to declare, it's time. It's time that I get right with God. It's time that I begin walking with Jesus. Some of you are doing great. Some of you have been walking faithfully with the Lord, but you still have a declaration to make. I am a son. I am a daughter of the Most High God. I have a calling, and this is what I'm going to do. Whatever it is God stirs in you, my encouragement to you is to write it on the card. And then I want you to put the card in your Bible or on your mirror or somewhere where you'll see it. Maybe it's in your car where you see it every day and live into the declaration that you make. I declare. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of the Easter story. Thank you that you are the great I am. That you came and you died and you rose again to bring us victory. Lord, even as we continue to worship in song, help us to declare who you are in our lives. Help us to make declarations of victory. Help us to make declarations that liberate our lives. Lord, you are so good, beyond our understanding. Thank you for the cross, and thank you for the resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.